open in the Bible to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the uh, very famous verses 1 to 21, which you'll find beginning on page 909. If you would please stand. This is Acts chapter 2, beginning at 1, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, And give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. (coughs) Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering here today. We pray now that you would send that same life-giving spirit upon us 
that you would pry open our cold hearts, set us free from distractions, and give us grace, Father, that we might hear your sovereign word, believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, it's wonderful to be able to share Pentecost Sunday with you guys. As John rightly said, this is a very special day for us. It's a day when we, when we focus and remember that special day when the Holy Spirit came upon the church and, and began a, a new kind of work. It's, it was not a new work, strictly speaking. Actually, uh, in Acts chapter 1, thank you, Will. In Acts chapter 1, thank you. In Acts chapter 1, Luke, the author, actually specifically says that what we read about in, throughout the book of Acts is the work of Jesus continued. Uh, Jesus began a work, and the book of Acts records the church continuing Jesus' work. So, uh, in a sense, everything that we read about in the book of Acts and everything we've seen since then is a continuation of of Jesus' own work in the world. What a joy it is to think about that, our connection with our Savior, our connection to the work that he came into the world to do and that has been now entrusted to us. Uh, Of course, what Jesus came into the world to do was to bring to fulfillment a work that God had already been doing, right? Uh, God's work among the people of Israel... His work among his covenant people was always done in light of its fulfillment eventually in Christ. What Jesus did was not unlike what God had already been doing through Israel. The Lord Jesus brought to bring fulfillment of that work and now in us he continues to fulfill his work. So Sometimes we talk about the church being born on Pentecost Sunday. That, that's not exactly right. Really what happened was the church was reborn. It was recommissioned with a fresh infusion of the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what Jesus has done and what God has been doing from time immemorial. God's purposes have always been wrapped up in the kinds of things we see here in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. Uh, This first Pentecost sermon. I've been thinking a lot about Pentecost. I've been thinking a lot about the Holy Spirit over the past uh, week or so. Actually, I think about the Holy Spirit a lot. I think about the Holy Spirit a lot because the work of the Holy Spirit is to help us to grow in Christ. And we are very unwise to separate the work of the Holy Spirit from the work of Christ. Uh, The delight and the work of the Holy Spirit is to draw us to Jesus. And the delight and the work of Jesus is to draw us to his Father. And so today, we'll be thinking about that. And next Sunday, brace yourselves, Colin's going to stand up in this pulpit and explain the Trinity. So, So be praying. Be praying for Colin for next Sunday. Um, But for this morning, I'd like for us to think a little bit about Pentecost and what we learn here and the significance of it 
and specifically its significance for us here at Metrocrest. Uh, one of the things I believe about the Bible is that it is forever relevant. It forever teaches us something. It forever calls us to do something and to be something, to understand something. And so I'd like for us to understand some important things this morning. Let me tell you a couple of things that have been on my mind as I've been reflecting about all this. And I'll, I'll try to tie them together in a moment. Uh, I'm going to single out three individuals. I could single out a whole bunch of others. Sunday school teachers and Sunday school directors and youth group volunteers and youth group directors and people involved in all kinds of ministry. I'm going to single out just a, a few things this morning uh, that have been on my mind. One I want to tell you about is uh, a, a very sweet, dear friend of mine named Kathy Collinsworth, who has uh, graciously accepted the portfolio of care team leader. She was asked to do this by the session last year, last year's session, and she has been doing it faithfully, quietly, uh, with incredible energy while being a grandma and a wife and a friend and very involved in all kinds of things. And last week I was talking to uh, Lori Wynn, and we were just praying for Lori a moment ago. Lori's in the hospital uh, very sick. Lori was telling me that uh, she'd had a long day. She had made some choices about scheduling things, trying to get some family money in, and so she needed to go to the hospital. She'd gotten to feeling really, really bad, and her doctor said she needed to get in right away. It was late at night. The winds do not currently have a car. Uh, there was no Uber available they could afford. There were some other things going on. So Lori very timidly sent a text to Kathy on a Friday night late. Said, Kathy, I need to go to the hospital. Um, is there something you can do to help me? And Kathy uh, laid aside what she was doing and drove Lori to the hospital prayed with her, helped her to get situated, helped her get into the room and navigate all the things you have to go through in a hospital. And I was so touched by that story of a sister in Christ in service to Jesus, helping a needy member of our church family. It's a beautiful story. Uh, let me tell you another story. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was out in the lobby and one of our young members, a young man named Justice Smith, who some of you might know is getting married uh, later this year, has a lot going on, staying very, very busy, came walking into church, and he had with him a friend who's actually here today, Charlie. And I talked to Justice, and Justice said, yeah, I've got this friend, we've been working together, he's going through some tough things, and I just really like this guy, he's a really good friend to me, and I wanted to bring him to my church. And so Justice brought his friend to church, and Charlie's been at church every Sunday since. Second story. Third story. There's a young girl named August Hodges. Uh, August is uh, the daughter of uh, Carly and Albert Hodges. Uh, she is a very bright, very precocious young girl, Sunday school age. And a few weeks ago, you may have noticed this, uh, August turned in a prayer request. You know, we do prayer requests. If you look on the back of the bulletin, there's a little 
code thing. You can scan the code and it'll take you to a digital form. There are also paper forms out in the lobby. Well, August got one of those paper forms and she wrote out a prayer. And I'm going to have to paraphrase it, but it said something like this, help our church to grow more and more into the church that God wants it to be. Help our church to grow more and more into the church God wants it to be. That, that's an amazing prayer, I think, for, uh, for anybody to have the discernment to pray, but for a very young person, still Sunday school aged, very young, to have that understanding and that vision and that desire that our church would grow, not just in numbers, but far more importantly, to grow the way God wants his church to grow. If you look at the cover of the bulletin, uh, Colin does these, and I'm always so grateful how he's able to find images that kind of describe what we're going to be talking about. It says, a season for growth. And I'd love to see Metrocrest get bigger and bigger. God is bringing you friends. We're having people join the church. That's very, very exciting to me. But you know what's even more exciting? And they're not, they're not disconnected. It's not like these are two separate things, but that they have no connection to each other. The, the fact is, though, that the kind of church that is likely to grow numerically is, more importantly, the church that is growing spiritually, that is growing in the Lord, that is growing in love for him, that is growing in a desire to be the church he wants us to be. And that's what we're going to be thinking about for the first few weeks of Pentecost 2022. A season for growth. A season for our church to be growing into the church more and more that God wants us to be. And I want to focus on a few verses as we think about that idea. And it's, it's these verses from Acts chapter 2. At the very beginning of the story of, of this new, exciting dimension of a continuing ancient work, the work of the church of Jesus Christ, and we read about it here in this very, very first sermon. It'd be very helpful if you have it open in front of you. I just want to walk through three things. They're all found in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. They're spelled out in greater detail throughout the passage that was read, but they're summed up very well in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And you'll notice that in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, there's a footnote if you're following along the ESV edition, you'll notice a little footnote. And what it means is that here, Peter, in the first Pentecost sermon, is actually quoting the Old Testament. See, Peter knew that the work he was a part of, Peter knew that the work Jesus had entrusted to him and to the other disciples was not disconnected from the work God had always been doing. So he took an Old Testament text, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, and he takes this text as the text for the rest of his sermon. This is what it says. In the last days, it shall be, God declares. You'll see a little sermon outline there in the bulletin. If you want to follow along, this will kind of help us wind up in the right, right place at the end on page 9. <clears throat> in the last days, 
It shall be, God declares, in the last days. Let's, let's just pause and think about that for a moment. Bear in mind that the words were originally written by Joel hundreds of years earlier. So Peter understood that what he was preaching was something that had been declared by the Lord hundreds of years earlier by an Old Testament prophet, Joel. So in verse 16, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter knows what he's doing, and he looks to the Old Testament. In the last days it shall be, God declares. So Joel was talking about something that was for him in the future, in the last days. Joel was looking towards a time when God would do something that he promised to do, that he declared he would do. And now Peter is saying, this is happening now. He's actually giving this text to explain what the residents of Jerusalem were looking around and seeing with their own eyes and which they terribly misunderstood. So he says, what you're seeing, Jerusalem, is something God promised to do a long time. And it will happen in the last days. So, Joel speaking hundreds of of years before Peter... Peter speaking hundreds of years ago before us. Back in the first century AD. uh, Just weeks after Christ had died and been raised from the dead. Now Peter is describing something that was happening right then. That would happen in the last days. What Peter is saying is. These are those days. We're now living in the days that Joel told us about that God promised he would do something. So it was for Peter then. Those last days included what was happening in Jerusalem right then. And guess what? We're still living in those last days. In that last period of time before the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises the ultimate fulfillment of what Jesus came into the world to do to begin to do and now between Jesus's first coming and the day when that great day when he will return again we're living in that period and those are the days that Joel's prophecy would be fulfilled we're living in those days in these last days You know, sometimes people read those words and in our crazy, confused society, all they do is get terrified. And apart from Christ, I I guess it is terrifying. But if you read the book of Revelation in light of the promises of Christ, then what you realize is these last days are dramatic and powerful. There's lots of things going on. God is at work. But for the Christian... For the member of God's covenant family, there is no need to be terrified. There's need to be motivated and active, aware of the urgency, but there is no need to be terrified. It's nothing terrifying for Peter as he stands up on this first Pentecost morning. It's nothing meant to be terrifying in a horror movie kind of way, science fiction kind of way. No, 
Peter's bringing words that are meant to stir the church and call people to Christ. That was what Paul, that's what Peter was doing. So in verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works. This Jesus, verse 22, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. That crucified Christ has been raised. And if you look all the way down the page... If you look down to verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. See, what Peter was aiming for and where he was going with this sermon was was not to terrify people, but to move them by the power of the Spirit to turn to Christ to repent and be baptized in his name. And, verse 20, 38 says, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's a circle here, the, the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, the fulfillment of Peter's sermon, is that people would pray and receive the Holy Spirit in these last days. I guess my point is that we're living in that same period of time. We're living in that same period when there is great urgency. You know, after 2,000 years, it'd be a little understandable if people began to forget that. But let's be reminded of that. We live in this period of time, this glorious bracket between Christ's first coming and his coming again in glory and everything we do, every action we take, every penny we spend, every single thought of our hearts and our minds should all be ultimately focused on the glorious truth that in this time, one day, one day Jesus will come and fulfill all of God's promises. I want to reclaim that urgency. I would like MetroCrest to reclaim that urgency. We know it. We know it, but, but it's so easy to forget it. It's so easy to get distracted by 101 things, 90 of which are pretty good. It's really easy to, to forget. But let's not forget. Let's, let's add that Holy Spirit exclamation point to the work that's been entrusted to us. I guess what I have in mind is things like our Vacation Bible School. It's just a few weeks away. It's a wonderful program. It'll be a great blessing to every kid who comes. It'll be a lot of fun. I hope every kid that comes has a lifetime of memories they take away with them. I hope everybody has a fun time. I hope everybody is safe. But you know what I hope more than anything? Is that people will come to Jesus. That these little ones will come to Jesus. I I remember in my own life going to a vacation Bible school. It was a few years ago. (laughs) Been to a lot of vacation Bible schools since. But I remember a a woman who was my Sunday school teacher. I, I couldn't tell you her name. She was my vacation Bible school teacher. And I remember her talking about Jesus with such love in her heart. 
love for Jesus and for some reason love for me and for my little classmates. I'm sure there were a thousand other things she could have been doing. But she took the time to come to her church's vacation Bible school and to teach me and a bunch of other wiggly little kids about Jesus. And she could have no way of knowing, apart from faith, that one day that little wiggly boy would be standing in a pulpit talking about her and talking about Jesus. Well, that spiritual exclamation point was what moved her in some measure. In some measure, it was what moved her to take time off from her family and other things to come and help. And I know Teresa and her team, that's what's moving them. And I, I want to encourage them to grab hold to that spiritual exclamation point that the Holy Spirit is at work in them and through them. Because these are the last days. These are the days of the coming fulfillment of Jesus. It could be later this morning. We're we're not told a chronology. What we're told is a promise that in this period we're looking towards the day when Christ will return and he is closer at this point in the sermon than he was at the beginning. He draws near. And my prayer for Metrochrist is that everything we do would have that spiritual exclamation point. I'd like to repent of business as usual, doing it because we've always done it. But whatever the ministry, whatever the thing we're doing, to do it with that awareness of the urgency, the importance of it. I think that's part of what Peter's teaching us, that urgency. All right, in these last days, that's uh, verse 17a. Look at the promise in verses 17b through 20. God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I love that word pour out, pour. It doesn't say drip. It doesn't say a little tiny stream. The picture is one of a fusion. I will pour out my spirit. The picture is sort of like gushing. Or jetting. Just just imagine one of those water hydrants and you open the water hydrant and the water doesn't dribble out. It gushes out. And that's the promise of the last days that God declares that he would pour out his spirit. Well, part of the exclamation comes from an awareness that that's what God is doing. I wonder if we're open to that. You know, we, we can get, the longer we walk with Christ, we, we can get very much in a channel, in a rhythm of doing things, and it, it just kind of runs out of us. We need to be refilled, to be filled with that gushing work of God's sovereign, life-giving spirit, the spirit that was at work in and through Jesus, the spirit that proclaims Jesus, the spirit that has and always will point us towards Christ. That spirit is gushing out. And he says it's on all flesh. Notice what he says. Your sons, your daughters, young men, old men, male servants, servants, verse 18, female servants, 
this effusive outpouring of God's Spirit is not constrained by human categories of gender and age and social function. The the Holy Spirit is gushing out on all flesh. I guess the question for us is, will will we accept that? Will we work with that? Will Grover did a fantastic job. Some of you will know that you were in the class. Did a fantastic job in our adult Sunday school teaching about the PCA's uh, recent statement on women in ministry. And it was a wonderfully nuanced, balanced statement, crystal clear on the PCA's position on complementarianism. We are committed to it. We're committed to male elders and male deacons. We're committed to those biblical categories. But sometimes we get so focused on telling women what they can't do, we forget to encourage them in what they're called to do. We can push women to the side almost. Well, that's not the picture here. That's not the picture in the book of Acts. No, as the Holy Spirit gushes effusively, jetting power through his church, it is to men and women, old and young, servants and free. All of us are the beneficiaries of this work, this gushing of the Spirit. Now, we are careful about our biblical understanding of that, we, we don't want to fall prey to the kind of abuse that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we look for the, for the season of Easter, we looked at 1 Corinthians 15. Well, if you flip back one chapter to 1 Corinthians 14, you'll see that the church had an issue. It was struggling with the Spirit and what the Spirit would do, and they, they were very hung up on this idea of speaking in tongues. Very, very hung up on it, what it meant. And Paul never actually tries to decipher that very much, except to say, let love prevail over everything. If you don't have love, you wind up being a gonging symbol, a noisy gong, a just racket. No, the Spirit is pouring, gushing, but the Spirit is also changing and channeling and working in the way that only the Holy Spirit works, drawing all of us to exercise the gifts we are given for the gospel. So it says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What does that mean? Well, in the Bible, prophesy can mean to foretell something. It can mean that God gives the specific ability to anticipate something and to say it will happen. Joel had that gift. Joel, the prophet, foretold that hundreds of years later, the Holy Spirit would come upon the church. So Peter repeated a prophecy of Joel anticipating something that would happen. But The Holy Spirit also empowers prophecy in the sense of of not a chronology, but a sense of what God is 
calling us to do, a, a, a giving of testimony, a giving of witness. And what the Holy Spirit is doing here in Acts chapter 2 is empowering the church, men and women, to be bold witnesses for Christ. You do not have to be ordained to be a witness for Christ. You do not have to be an officer of the church to be a witness for Christ. You are called to be a witness to Christ. Sisters in Christ, hear me. You are called in Christ to be a witness to Jesus. And that's not Bill Lovell or the PCA. That's Jesus. That's Joel and Peter. That is the voice of Jesus through his church. The Holy Spirit empowers you to prophesy, to speak this word faithfully. Now, in the PCA, like in most Reformed churches, we acknowledge that there's a specialness to some of the gifts. There's a specialness to some of the things we read about in the book of Acts. They're so unusual, they were written down in the Bible. That's how unusual they were. They were so unusual, they were written down in in the Bible to show us the greatness of what God would do. But actually, most people experience the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in very, very simple ways. Things like, well, things like getting up in the middle of the night to help an ailing friend in Christ's name to get to the hospital. There aren't many headlines written about that there should be because that's the work of the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit moves a young man to invite another friend to church I think that is a particularly beautiful example of the work of the Holy Spirit just just to invite someone that you care about to come to your church I hope the Holy Spirit will move you to invite someone to come to church I hope the Holy Spirit will move you to invite a kid you know and care about to come to Vacation Bible School. One of the things we hope, I need to talk to Teresa more about this, but uh, we're hoping to plan some uh, opportunities for guests who come to Vacation Bible School to also be able to come to an adult Sunday school class that parents of kids who come, whether it's one, two, or 50, We will invite them to come, and it's up to them, and it's up to the Lord what they'll do about that, but it's up to us to invite, and so we're going to invite. We're polling the church right now to see, would you come to a Sunday school class in the summer? We haven't had one in a long time, but we're having our first VBS in 10 or 15 years. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we could invite them to come to a Sunday school class on a book called Gentle and Lowly? to introduce them, to remind them about the Jesus of the Bible and invite them to have a relationship with him. Well, that would be a wonderful work of the Holy Spirit if you would simply invite someone to come to church, if you'd invite someone to come to VBS. There are all kinds of ways the Holy Spirit can work through your witness to help you help others come to Christ. Finally, verse 21. Uh, In the last days, the Lord will pour out his spirit, verse 21, and it shall come to pass. Uh, These are very strong words. This shall come to pass. This shall happen. What will happen? That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. See, it's not about church programs. It's not about attendance statistics. It's not about our little budget. It's about people being saved. People being saved. Uh, Brian said, isn't it appropriate that we have a Bible translator at Metrocrest on Pentecost Sunday? And it is appropriate, isn't it? I mean, if you just think about it. Brian has been doing for his adult life what the apostles were doing here in Acts chapter 2. They were speaking in other languages, empowered by the Spirit in this unique display. He's been doing it in the power of the Spirit to help people literally on the other side of the planet in an isolated country among people very different to us to hear about Jesus and his great love. And you know the wonderful thing is, we never left Carrollton, but we get to help him. We get to pray for him. We get to support him. We get to support him financially. We get to support him by just throwing our arms around him when he comes to church and saying, thank you for your work. Thank you for Hannah. Thank you for the girls. We love them. Because it's going to happen, brothers and sisters. It is happening. When you, get, when you corner Brian out in the lobby, get him to tell you some of the stories. How people very different to us on the other side of the world Men and women, boys and girls, coming to Jesus. And it's not just in Papua New Guinea. It's all over the place. It's right here in Carrollton. The Holy Spirit is very much at work right here in Carrollton. Drawing people to Christ. So that all those who call upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. I guess I want to end brief just wrapping up with that Holy Spirit exclamation it's not about programs it's not about our budget it's, it's about people being saved and we get to be a part of it the Holy Spirit working through us in these crazy 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 confusing complicated times when we're grieving the death of loved ones when we're grieving all kinds of things to know that Anybody, no matter how confused they are, no matter what mistakes they've made in life, that everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Exclamation point.